This program features interviews with respected healthcare industry experts on current topics of substantial national importance. Your host for the program is David Intricasso, a DC-based healthcare policy analyst and researcher. We invite you to comment on the program by visiting thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Now, here's David. Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast. Again, I'm the host, David Intracasso. During this podcast, we'll discuss IORA's direct primary care delivery model. With me to discuss the topic is IORA's Chief Medical Officer, Dr. David Judd. David, welcome to the program. Thank you, David. I appreciate being here. Dr. Judd's bio is posted on the podcast website. On background, primary care is considered the bedrock of effective health care delivery. When done well, primary care promotes wellness, prevents disease onset, progression, exacerbation, and premature death, moderates the need for a higher cost specialty care, and improves population health. For numerous reasons, including reimbursement, primary care delivery has, however, been on occasion suboptimal. Over the past few years, a new model of primary care delivery and payment has emerged termed direct primary care. DPC was recognized in the 2010 Affordable Care Act. There are now DPC laws in 13 states and proposed congressional legislation that would in part recognize direct primary care as a quote-unquote alternative payment model under Medicare reimbursement. Listeners may be aware of DPC providers Q-Lyance profiled in a health affairs article in May 2010 or Palladina Health. With me to unpack how the Boston-based Iora Health delivers direct primary care is, again, its chief medical officer, Dr. David Judge. So with that on background, David, let me begin with a very basic question. What was the impetus for the creation of Iora Health? Yeah, David, I'm happy to address that question. I do want to uh, make one comment about the direct primary care movement, although we are certainly linked in ways to that movement, uh, you know, we don't consider ourselves strictly a direct primary care company. Um, and uh, so I'm happy to talk a little bit more about that. But uh, we certainly uh, believe in moving away from fee-for-service. So in that way, we have many of our uh, colleagues out there doing direct primary care that we uh, believe in what they're doing. Uh, but our approach is uh, a little more complex than that. Uh, fair um, enough. I, I did. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. So thank you for clarifying. Okay, good. So again, on the on the uh, impetus for the creation. Yeah. So the impetus for the creation of Ira Health was really it begins with uh, our founder and many folks that he he sort of collaborated with agreeing that boy the existing way of, of providing primary care was increasingly broken, and that is uh, from several standpoints. One is that the patient experience. Uh, was very poor, and uh, patients, especially more recently, are starting to look for more value in their care and having a hard time finding it. And the other side of it really is that uh, providers and and staff who work in primary care practices find it to be a very difficult environment to do what they love to do and train to do, which is to take good care of patients, uh, doing that in very brief visits and being paid only for volume of care just did not seem to make a lot of sense uh, and is increasingly burning physicians out. Uh, and so the impetus for the creation of, of Iora was really to restore humanity to care, and that's sort of uh, our tagline, and that's really supposed to mean for patients and for providers and staff that work in practices. So let's go into the 
discussed the delivery model. Uh, could you explain the elements that make your delivery model different than traditional uh, primary care delivery? Sure. So our model is different in a lot of ways. I think perhaps most importantly in that we are really about uh, relationship-based care. And the most important thing that we do is that we form a trusting relationship with patients and we really invite them into almost a partnership. Uh, we're, we're moving away from our old culture and a tradition in which physicians were very directive with their patients and would tell them what to do and sort of send them on their way. We're really looking at this much differently and, and have recognized the power of engaging patients as really the driver of their own health. So what we do is we invite them to set goals and then we design care plans around those goals and we support them with, yes, many of the traditional things that we do in medical practice and bring medical expertise to their care. But I think more importantly, we uh, engage them in a relationship with a team. So it's not just with the physician. Uh, it's with the, There is a physician or nurse practitioner who plays the primary care provider role. But patients will meet a health coach who really becomes sort of the center of the stewarding of the relationship with the patient and will work closely with them towards the goals that we've set. Uh, we also have on the team social work playing a behavioral health role largely um, and nursing support in the practice and additional administrative support. But it's really about teaming around the patient. And if we can do that successfully, we've found that we can engage them in a way that enables them to reach their goals more effectively. Um, I would say that what's very important to know is that in order to do this, you have, we're trying to prove that you have to do a few things. You have to beef up the reimbursement for primary care. So in order to have a team of coaches, working providers, and social workers and others on, on this model, you have to get away from fee-for-service. And so we only work in contracts with payers that allow, that allow us to be paid in a capitated way or increasingly now in risk-based contracts. Uh, this allows our teams to be very flexible in how they use their time and work with each patient. Some patients need more time than others, and that could mean longer visits uh, and often means more touch points through scheduled calls or even home visits, uh, groups and classes. So we've been able to be very flexible in the way that we deliver care. Um, we also felt that in order to do this effectively and to center the care around relationship building and collaboration, that we needed to build out essentially every part of what we call an operating system, and that includes the people and the roles on the team, the processes that we use to deliver care, and the technology. So we did not feel that the existing electronic health record technology today would be able to support this kind of care readily, where it's really designed to enable physicians to code and bill in a sort of transactional nature. Uh, we wanted to create what we call a collaborative care platform, that allows care teams to document together and to engage patients in understanding what lives in a record uh, and to build a patient portal or application that would allow them to ultimately see everything we see, contribute to that record, and uh, really support communication and support the ongoing work of, again, reaching their goals and working closely with our coaches. So that is what we're doing. And... Uh, I'll stop there, David, see if you have any other questions about that piece of our yes. work. Yes, thank you, David. So a few clarifying questions on the reimbursement. You said capitated, so that means you are paid a 
a per member per month amount. Is that correct? That's right. So the the first several practices we launched were, were with self-insured payers, and what we did was work in contracts where there was a, a per member per month payment. Um, we're now moving more into contracts that allow us to work in a risk-based uh, setting, so a Medicare Advantage or on the exchanges in a few states where we're just getting launched um, so that there there's an opportunity for us to uh, capture not just a per member per month payment, but if there's value that we're creating in the form of savings that we can share in savings. And relative to the payment, you are full risk then for all services beyond or including beyond uh, primary care. That's right. Exactly. So as we, we don't begin at full risk, but we move there relatively quickly as we enroll patients in the first uh, months and years of these contracts. Okay, you did mention uh, Medicare Ad Advantage uh, carriers or insurers. Um, what other types of payers are you contracting with? Employers or unions or others? Yeah, we, again, the first several practices were with self-insured entities, uh, and we continue to work with a few of those early partners, including uh, a few unions and uh, a college. Um and with, in fact, with a healthcare provider as well, with a hospital. Um, and then again, increasingly, we're working with payers who who are in the Medicare Advantage space. And, and now, just getting, I'm sorry, just getting into a, a partnership, uh, launching practices soon on the exchange in a few states. And that's where I was going next. Where, what states are you're working nationally? Correct. That's right. Uh, we're getting started uh, on the exchange work in Chicago and Atlanta this January. So we've been in the planning mode, preparing, and now in the enrollment phase of uh, signing patients up, and we'll soon be launching these practices in January 2016. And just to clarify on the reimbursement, since you're paid uh, per member per month, your billing is substantially simplified. You're not uh, filing claims. You're not under... Uh, the traditional fee-for-service system. That is largely true. Um, in basically, what is important to understand is in risk-based contracts, we still have to document and submit some codes in order to be paid for the work that we do. It's much simplified, and we don't worry about uh, levels of billing that we're tied to. You know, the things like the number of minutes I spent with a patient, or how many review systems did I do. I don't want our providers having to worry about that, and for the most part, we're, we're avoiding that, that stuff. But we do have to think about at least coding for some of the chronic illnesses that we take care of, uh, as some of those codes matter to, for example, CMS when they decide how they're going to pay us per patient if it's not by volume. And relative to restoring humanity back to the care delivery model, or care delivery rather, what types of physicians or what type of clinicians do you look for or what's, what are the attributes of you're looking for in developing and building out your workforce? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, we certainly look for physicians and primary care providers. We have some nurse practitioners as well uh, and nurses who, who obviously come with a passion for primary care and for caring for patients and for having longitudinal relationships with patients. Many of them are relatively junior coming out of training and have really worked recently in sort of team-based settings and are very comfortable in that setting. I think there's more of an emphasis in training there than there might have been in the past. Um, we're also wanting and are starting to attract more and more 
mid to even later career physicians who maybe have worked in more traditional settings. Um, but when they see the way that we work, uh, you know, they really, they, they're excited about the sort of supportive environment of working on a team. Not everybody is meant for this work. I mean, it really is, uh, it's intense in a way, uh, because we work together in teams all day long and, and the upside of that is, is incredible. I mean, we really are together supporting each other, learning from each other. Uh, and that's physician to physician as well as physician to health coach, physician to social worker and, and all, every combination you can think of. Um, so sharing the care is rewarding. Uh, it's incredibly powerful in terms of learning. Uh, it's incredibly supportive especially where we take care of many very complex and sick patients. Often physicians feel the uh, stress of that when they feel like it's just them and the patient in the room trying to figure out how to manage their care. Uh, But when we do that in a team setting, it feels easier to do and that you can share the work. Um, So I think many physicians are a great culture fit for this. We look for physicians who will be willing to really step back in a sense and support the team, allow folks like health coaches, many of whom are lay people that come from the communities that we serve, uh, to grow and develop into caregivers in a way. And so that takes stepping back and allowing something special to happen uh, and not sort of just directing what's going on as many doctors are sort of traditionally trained to do. Um, so we, we, we pick the physicians who we think are a good fit and then we let them come and test it out. Uh, you know, part of our interview process is allowing physicians to spend some time with the team and see how that feels to them because it is a very different experience. Um, our teams, for instance, huddle every morning and whether you're a physician, a medical secretary or office administrative supporter, social worker, Coach, it doesn't matter. Everybody takes a turn running a huddle, uh, bringing a lot of their own agenda to that work, uh, feeling empowered to have a voice at that table. So, again, it feels different than many traditional healthcare settings and practices. And uh, physicians usually, uh, they go one way or the other. <laughs> they either love it and want to be a part of it, or uh, quickly they learn, no, I don't, know, I don't think this is for me. The good news is most of them seem to love it so far. Let me let me ask, does this then, if they're spending presumably more time with a patient, does this then uh, allow the physician to see fewer patients, say, on a weekly or monthly basis? That's a good question. I actually think it, it, you know, it allows us to stay more connected to more patients or have more what we call touches in a day, a week, a month, but to use your time in a more reasonable way. So I might have less direct face-to-face office visits in a day, uh, but I'll have some time for scheduled phone calls or to see patients in a group setting. Um, or we, did it, we have our teams dedicate time to doing proactive outreach through population management where they run uh, a list of patients or they look at data about patients that they may be concerned about or who share common chronic illnesses, and they dedicate time to doing proactive patients. So we found that actually we can have more touches over time and stay closely connected to the whole population than we could in a, in a model where you might see 20, 25, even 30 visits a day, uh, but you have no idea really what's going on with the overall population. Okay, okay. Let's go to the very important uh, issue concerning outcomes. Now, I realize your model is a few years, uh, just a few years in development or in evolution, but uh, that aside, what does your data show relative to IORA's performance? Uh, or what goals have you met or are trying to meet? 
Sure, thank you. It is an important question. I, let me uh, start with the latter part of your question. We're setting goals in five areas. Uh, the first is patient experience, and we feel it's incredibly important uh, for patients to have a consistently excellent experience because that's the first step in engaging them in a trusting relationship where we're going to ask them to really, again, be sort of a partner in the work and uh, support them. But ask them, again, just often to change behavior or work on goals that can be very difficult. I'd say there we've done really well. Uh, our, we use a net promoter score for all of our practices, and we've seen incredibly high scores that benchmark well uh, nationally. So we're excited about that. And in the early going, that was perhaps the most important outcome, that we wanted to do that consistently. Um, Next, I'll go to clinical metrics and outcomes. Uh, we, uh, we measure and are measured, like anyone would be, uh, to the same sort of measures of chronic disease and prevention and screening that we think are important. Um, part of our development work is in creating our own internal, uh, essentially, data management platform so that the teams can have data at their fingertips to keep an eye on how they're doing. Uh, I think we're doing very well there, again, benchmarking very highly and for, for our earliest practices and then our practices that are a few years old, trending in the right direction. And we pay attention. I want to make a note, too, that we pay particular attention to behavioral and mental health issues, uh, depression, anxiety, the impact of stress uh, on our patients. And we, we try to go after those in particular as, as quickly and as we can early in relationships with patients and are monitoring that closely. Um, I, I would go from there to overall cost and utilization. Uh, we've seen that we, we take care of, I would say, both populations that look sort of like all comers, uh, relatively working populations uh, at, that are fairly healthy uh, or look like a general population, and then we take care in some of our practices of sicker uh, folks, like in the Medicare side and in particular one of our union practices on the West Coast. I think our outcomes here have trended in the right direction. We've seen that with sicker populations, you can more quickly uh, see a reduction in high-cost service utilization. You know, ER visits, hospitalizations, uh, and the like can come down fairly quickly. We've seen fairly dramatic uh, reductions in a couple of, of our early practices and an overall sort of savings in cost that might come around 8 to 10%. Uh, Again, we're, we're part of what we have to factor in is that we are asking for a little bit more for a primary care payment, but when all is said and done, we believe we can more than bring a return on investment. And so, again, for our sicker populations, we see that relatively quickly. For our healthier populations, it's a slightly longer run, and we're seeing trends in the right direction, but we're still young, and we still have a relatively small number of patients uh, so I can't comment otherwise yet on, on those outcomes. We're, we're doing a more rigorous evaluation with uh, one of our early outcomers populations that will have some results, we hope, in a relatively near future. Um, the fourth bucket, I would say, for us is joy of practice. So we uh, keep a close eye on the happiness of our teams, and uh, we've in our in our early going, we have a way to measure that, but we're looking for even better ways to measure that and to uh, really be effective at understanding when a team is doing well or when a team may not be doing well uh, and help them to sort of develop in a healthy way and to be high-performing teams. So that's incredibly important to us and is a vital part of our mission. Um, and then the fifth bucket that we keep an eye on is uh, 
financial sustainability. So there has to be a business model that works that really allows us to continue to invest in what we're doing and uh, different ways that we measure that. But uh, right now, the big uh, uh, metric for us is just enrolling patients. We want to see that we can bring a lot of patients in to all of these early practices. And uh, um, we know that for these slightly different business models, uh, meaning Medicare Advantage versus the exchange versus the self-insured model, uh, again, for each of them, enrolling patients is, is what matters. Um, and financial sustainability takes a little while to sort of get there, but um, in the early going, that's what we're focused on. So I hope that I hope that helps. No, very thorough. David, I appreciate your comments. We're at our time boundary. So thank you for participating in the interview. Very appreciative. Thank you, David. You have just heard another edition of the Healthcare Policy Podcast hosted by David Intricasso. To comment on this program or others, to see information about upcoming interviews, to suggest a program topic, or to hear an archive program, please visit our website, thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Thank you for listening, and please listen again soon.